tell you how the world is wrong. The world is wrong about Mad Dog Time, the Paperboy, Mordecai, after last season. The World is Wrong is an extremely positive podcast where Andras Jones and Brian Connolly champion films The World is Wrong About. Available on Paperhouse Network wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, I'm Morty from All Day Soccer, and you are listening to Radio 8 Ball with Andras Jones. Give us a shake. Give us a shake. I'm your host, Andras Jones, and this is the show where we answer questions by picking songs at random and interpreting those randomly chosen songs as the answers to the questions like picking musical tarot cards. This is Radio 8 Ball Season 3, The Appening. 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 Where we are engaging the pop oracle using the Radio 8 Ball app, which is filled with every song recorded in the history of Radio 8 Ball, as well as a couple of hundred of my own. I hope by now you've downloaded the Radio 8 Ball app. If you're an iPhone user, it's free and it allows you to play host and conduct your own musical divinations just as we do here on the show. The app also plays the latest podcast and selects the randomly chosen pop oracle song of the day. On last week's episode of Radio 8 Ball, Muhammad Seven asked, How will I learn, deep in my bones, that the universe loves me more than it hates me? And received as his randomly chosen answer, Girl with the Denim Eyes, recorded live at Starburns Industries in Burbank, California, by All Day Sucker on September 13th, 2017. I would be scared, I would be terrified if I couldn't be near the girl with the dead of remember all This week's guest is Jordan Summers of All Day Sucker. Jordan is the keyboard-playing co-writer of Girl with the Denimize, and if you were expecting his songwriting partner, Morty Coyle, you won't be entirely disappointed, as Morty will be joining us for a few minutes to talk about the song and last week's reading. This week, a fair portion of my conversation with Jordan Summers involves baseball and the World Series, which reminds me of the first question that was asked on Radio 8 Ball on KAOS in Olympia, 
in October of 2004 when we made the switch from late nights to prime time at the station we've been doing Radio 8 Ball on since 1998. Check it out. This is from October 26th, 2004. Chaos, you're on the air. Hey, um, I have a question for the Magic 8 Ball. Okay, first of all, what's your handle there, caller? Um, Brandon. Okay, Brandon. And Can you bring him up a little bit? Tim? Sure. Okay, so what's your question? Well, this question's coming from Brandon and Curb. Okay. And we're wondering who's going to win the World Series. <laughs> Who is going to win the World Series? Okay. Well, I've picked the CD at random. I'm putting it in the CD player. I know that I have my hopes set on one team, but I won't let that affect <laughs> the answer. I'm crossing my fingers, too. Okay, so, uh, Brandon, will you hold on for a second, and we're going to bring up a song, and then when it's done, we'll come back, and we will help divine the answer. All right. Okay, the, uh, the answer to the song is going to come from none other than Danny Peck, and you can take this with a, as maybe some encouragement. Danny Peck is from Cambridge, Massachusetts. Yeah! <laughs>
talking about Babylon, Babylon. There ain't no Pentagon, Cheney or Bush, Rumsfeld or Powell. There's no Bin Laden, there ain't no Sodom. There's weapons of mass destruction, only we could find them. There's just a common bond, runs through everyone. If you hold on to it, sing your songs to it. When you're feeling low, when you're all alone, hard as a poem, say it's soft as a prayer. Cause it's this way to there. 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 I'd say it's a good song. Maybe the Red Sox pull it off. Is that what you're thinking? You're there. Yeah. You're on the air, Brandon. All right. So yeah, that, that seemed pretty good. That was Danny Peck uh, from Cambridge, Massachusetts. And uh, the song This Way to There from the CD This Way to There. And uh, not only does it bode well the Boston Red Sox. Um, which are you watching the game right now? No, I'm not. Oh, see, I, <laughs> I'm hoping someone give me the score. We were there. The Red Sox were up four to nothing when I last I checked. Oh, really? Um, but uh, it, that's it was, with their lead pitcher off today. Pedro Martinez was pitching, so yeah, that's he's kind of pretty. You know, he's a pretty good second pitcher. Anyway, let's not get. They have so much sports talk on, but. Not only does it bode well for for the Red Sox, but it seemed to bode ill for the Bush gang. Yeah, I was thinking the same thing. It had an underdog quality to it. Yeah. Do we so. wait, Do we have another caller who's trying to get through? We do. Um, uh, just to bring them up for a second. Sure. <laughs> Chaos, you're on the air. Boston, 4 nothing. bottom of the eighth. That's great. Oh, okay. See, there we got the... Okay, Boston, 4 nothing. bottom of the, bottom of the eighth. And you know Keith Folk's coming in, so... The question is not whether or not the Red Sox will win the World Series, but will they sweep it? And, and that also bodes, if they do, that's good for Danny Peck because he's playing here on Halloween night in Olympia, and that's supposed to be, uh, that would be the seventh game of the World Series if they had it. And it'd be great if they could get it done in uh, under five games because uh, there's the Night of the Living tribute bands on Saturday night, and then there's the big Dan- band burn, Danny Peck, Chris Chandler show on Sunday. And uh, it'd be great if those weren't in competition with the baseball game. And we could give, be giving all our attention to to voting, to getting people out to vote against, mm-hmm. well, the, the uh, ideas and opinions expressed here are not necessarily the opinions of chaos or its uh, management or the Evergreen State College. But my opinion is that we should be getting out to defeat Bush in the weekend and get our heads out of Fox. Mm-hmm. Are, are you still there, Brandon? Yeah, I'm here. So, uh, do you have anything else you want to add to that? Um, no, I'm pretty satisfied with that. Okay, well, you got the score, you, and you got the score. All right, well, thanks for helping me out. Thank you. Have a good night. Okay. Bye. Toward the end of this session with Jordan, 
We talked briefly about the Kabbalistic tree and its similarities to the baseball diamond. This similarity allows us to interpret any play that happens on the baseball diamond in terms of its relation to the Kabbalistic tree. I'll demonstrate this with the first play of this year's World Series, and just so you can follow along, I'll include a link to an image of the Kabbalistic tree in the show notes. Okay, so the basic idea is that every position on the baseball diamond corresponds to one of the energetic nodes in the Kabbalistic tree. These nodes are called sephirot, and each corresponds with a different state of consciousness. For example, home plate corresponds with malhut, which corresponds to earth and all things material. If you're familiar with chakras, you could say this corresponds with the root chakra. Like life, everything happens here in the realm of Earth. It's the beginning and end of the game, home plate. And yet, the game is initiated when the pitcher, who stands on a mound which corresponds in Kabbalah with the Asod and on the chakra map with the second chakra, pitches the ball to the catcher. Those familiar with chakras know that the second chakra corresponds to our sexual organs, So, if this pitching and catching of a speeding white ball to a soft and waiting mitt strikes you as being reminiscent of other games that initiate action on the material plane, then you're on the right track, and you'll never watch baseball the same again. In the game that began World Series 2020, the first batter was Yandi Diaz of the Tampa Bay Rays, formerly Devil Rays, who plays first base. In the Kabbalistic tree, first base corresponds with Netzach, which sits at the base of the masculine pillar of the tree and represents victory. So in a sense, we can say that the Rays, or Devil Rays, led off the game with victory at home plate facing Clayton Kershaw on the mound for the Dodgers. Now, Clayton Kershaw isn't just a pitcher. He is the pitcher of his generation, not just a player, but an icon of the game. His catcher in this game was Austin Barnes, whose job it was to guard home plate, or Malhut, and receive Kershaw's pitches from Yasod, or the pitcher's mound. Kershaw would plant three seeds, or pitches, in Barnes' mitt before Yandi Diaz interrupted their rhythm with a single to right fielder Mookie Betts. On the Kabbalistic tree, right field corresponds with chesed, or mercy. Please hold this in your memory and consider it when Jordan and I are discussing Mookie Betts later on in this session. Now, what does it mean that victory led off the game with a single to mercy? Maybe this tells us something about the game, and maybe this tells us something about the world in the moment when this event occurred. I look at these plays the same way I look at our readings. They contain multitudes which reveal themselves to us based upon the depth of our capacity to comprehend them. Whether this has value or even makes sense really has more to do with you than with me. But I bet... If you're the kind of person who is still listening to this podcast, you're also the kind of person who finds value in such games and explorations. 
If you do, and you'd like to help other people find us, I'd like to invite you to share Radio 8 Ball with one friend this week. Maybe someone you share a synchronicity with. If you have the Radio 8 Ball app, you can explore your synchronicity even deeper by asking a question about it and interpreting your pop oracle answer together. If you have a good experience, please write to me and let me know about it. Now, I know I say it every week, but I really encourage you to join our Patreon campaign. Every week after our guest asks their question, we go backstage and I ask my question. These are available only to our Patreon subscribers for the low price of just $1 a month. Yes, just $1 a month. I know you can't believe it, so I'm going to say it one more time. Just $1 a month. This week... Last week's guest, Mohammed Seven, joined the campaign at the $1 a month level, and I just want to say thank you, M7. The scene backstage just keeps getting cooler. And uh, if you'd like to join us, well, I'll leave the Patreon link in the show notes. You can also help people find us by rating and reviewing Radio 8 Ball positively on Apple Podcasts. And if you haven't already, don't forget to hit subscribe in your podcast app so you'll get our episodes as soon as they are released. And before we get down to digging into some synchronicity with this week's guest, let's do as we always do and kick off the musical divination with the Pop Oracle Song of the Day from October 21st, 2020, the day I had my conversation with Jordan Summers and Morty Coyle of All Day Sucker. That song is Black Sunset from Feisty Heart. Recorded live on Radio 8 Ball at Starburns Industries in Burbank, California on October 12th, 2017. Land with our own feet we 
stand And free as we watch from forbidden sand A pretty black sunset Set from Feisty Heart. And here we are on October 21st, 2020, talking with Jordan Summers of the band All Day Sucker. Welcome back to the realm of the pop oracle, Jordan. It is nice to be back in the realm. And we're going to be hearing from your All Day Sucker bandmate, Morty Coyle, a little bit about the reading from uh, last week. But before we get into that, why don't you tell us what you've been up to? I know, well, since we spoke, I think Echo in the Canyon came out after we spoke last. And that was kind of a, at least a year long. Well, tell us a little bit about your, your involvement in the Echo in the Canyon project. Oh, wow. Okay, so the Echo in the Canyon project started uh, many years ago, and it kind of morphed into what we all know now as the movie on Netflix about Laurel Canyon and when uh, when folk and pop kind of merged to create the Laurel Canyon scene. And we were doing, um, we were getting together in the director uh, and producer Andy Slater's backyard and working with these two singers and kind of doing a lot of those covers and songs. And then Jacob Dylan got involved and he became the figurehead and we uh worked out kind of our own arrangements of these laurel canyon songs by 
Mamas and the Papas and Love and the Birds and uh, the Association. I know I'm forgetting some. Uh, Buffalo Springfield. And um, we made a record. Well, we uh, and then it was a duet record. So Jade from uh, formerly of Edward Sharp and Magnetic, Magnetic Zeros and Fiona Apple and Beck and Josh Homie and Eric Clapton and Neil Young and everybody was on this record. Uh, we performed live and filmed it. And then after that, uh, it kind of morphed into a film. And we went around and interviewed all of the people around that time, went into the studio where those songs were recorded and recorded with them, um, kind of uh, reimagined them, dug down deep, uh, uh, interviewed, played, and then the movie came out. We did movie theater tours and concert tours all over. Um, and then this thing called COVID came around and stopped everything in its tracks. And here we are. Well, it, it seemed like there was a there was a there was a lot of activity there. I do have a couple of uh, questions. First of all, you mentioned the two singers that you were working with originally. Who were those? Uh, Justine Bennett, who is still on the movie, um, she was one of the backup singers and sang a lot of harmonies, like just fantastic, kind of like the mom bear soul of the project. And um, um, uh, there was another girl who was involved, also who, the, the two of them, and they had their own little thing and then that just i don't know exactly how that you're not going to say her name happened. are you oh okay. i'm sorry did it jamie drake whoops <laughs> didn't mean yeah jamie drake and justine bennett just oh it's yeah, funny i've had ja we've had jamie drake on ready weight ball yeah well there you go she asked a question also amazing uh songwriter and and singer and her and justine really like amazing voices together they they blend so well it sounds like one voice and they still play together and you know i've seen jamie we actually bumped into jamie when we were on the road pushing echo so that was kind of fun we all kind of hung out at the hotel pool and you know and, the shit. and when you say we who who are the echo and the canyon band and if you wouldn't mind uh, just letting the listeners know which ones of those members are also members of all day sucker who you might have heard oh. on that recording so all day sucker is uh me uh, Dan Rothschild, Morty Coyle, David Goodstein, and Jay Gore. Um, Echo in the Canyon is me and Dan Rothschild. Um, Fernando Perdomo, Jeff Perlman, Matt Teku, and uh, Justine Bennett. And then the round robin of rock icons that have played with us. And Jeff Perlman is also a sometime all-day yeah, soccer. Jeff that's true. Jeff Jeff uh, Perman did your show. Uh, I think it was the Tom Petty show, right? The Tom Petty tribute, yeah. Or he did two of your shows. Didn't he do two of them? Uh, yeah, when... No, that was Jay was on the All Day Sucker one, and then Jeff Perlman was on the Tom Petty one. And... Yeah, so Jeff, yeah. Jeff, me, and Dan are also in a separate band called Uncanny Valley together. So I'm in like several bands with Dan. Um, I've been in bands with Dan since we were 20. And um, so Jeff is, yeah, Jeff is like uh, our, our pinch hitter. He's done the Wild Honey shows with us as All Day Sucker. He's done them with Jay. He's done them without Jay. So he would be our um, our our uh, 
I guess, our pinch hitter. Speaking of baseball, I know you must be very happy to have Yeah, your... you better speed this up because you have an hour. The okay. game's on. Okay, okay. Uh, so, well, <laughs> we're going to talk about how Girl with the Denim Eyes answered Muhammad Seven's question, but why don't we right now kick it over to Morty Coyle, who I spoke with earlier, and he'll fill us in on some of the background of the song, and we'll okay. come back and talk about it. Time passes. Yeah, so so Morty, we're here to talk about Girl with the Denim Eyes as the answer to Muhammad Seven's question, when will he learn deep in his heart that the universe loves him more than it hates him? Great, I love that song. I've had it in my head all week. Uh, so, so tell me, what do you think about that as the answer to the question? And maybe give a little bit of background on the song. Well, I, you know, I'm honored. I'm honored that the uh, synchronicity of the Radio 8 Ball uh, bestowed upon us another uh, another embarrassment of riches in picking one of our songs. Uh, that was written some years back. It's from our uh, it's from our last album, Denim Days. Our third album. Yeah. Oh, and I'll tell you, you know, it's funny. You, I, I had forgotten that uh, that Dan Rothschild wasn't in the studio when you recorded that song, because if you listen to that track, the bass is so present and such a part of the track, it feel it, like that that's reverse engineered. Is very and that you, like you weren't playing to a click track. You just were. It makes me think all these pr- musicians I work with who are like, you gotta lay this down to a click track or else it'll ruin everything. It's like. You guys can play, if, if you play the song, you can play it, you don't need it to a click track, come on. Or maybe David Goodstein is just as good as a click track, because he's awesome on it, too. Yeah, Everyone's funny, so good on last it. Night, funny, because last night I had this, I had this, you know, I had the same thing where we went into a song, and I'm like, I was like, uh, I'm like, dude, the fucking, like, you know, we were doing Shaky Ground, the Temptations version, and I'm like, this just feels so slow, it's just so fucking slow. Like, it's killing me. And we opened the second set with it, and I'm just like, oh, it's dragging. And he's like, and, I, and I'm on the mic going, like, it just feels slow. He's like, this is the tempo. And then I got home, and I go, okay, fuck it. I'm going to prove it. I'm going to go on. And I listen, and I'm like, Jesus Christ. He's like almost exactly, maybe a, maybe like a you know, BPM off. But I'm like, fuck. I just think of it a different way. But, you know, he was really, he nailed it, like, exactly where, well, I still wanted it faster, but he's damned if he didn't play it at exactly, you know, the tempo that the recorded version is. And, you know, it's like the Jordan thing. It's like, just shut up. Shut up and let him call it. You know, it's like, you can have an issue with it, you know, with live, you know, it's not having enough energy because things are generally faster live for that reason. But... I was like, yeah, you know, he was right. I was absolutely wrong. I listened to it. Like, I ate eat it with the video from last night. And I'm like, well, I can't really, can't really fault him on that because he did exactly nail it. Yeah. You know, it's like, yep, like exactly that. So, uh, Morty, give us a little background on Girl with the Denim Eyes. It was written for my daughter, Beatrix. And, I mean, the universe bestowed upon me. I'm not, I'm not that kind of you know, blessed, sort of, you know, uh, ethereal-leaning fella. But, you know, the universe bestowed upon me, you know, my daughter, and she really is, 
really a spectacular and worthy of more than just the one song. But that was the first one that came out because her eyes were her eyes were literally the color of denim. And through the entire pregnancy, I was wearing. I mean, as I usually wear denim, I had a I had a few denim shirts that had faded and that were exactly like her eyes were exactly the same color. And I was just sort of, you know, inspired by that and sort of knocked out by that. You know that you know, and and the, and the fact that we're apparently our eyes, as as you know, as a, as a child will tell you over and over when they learn a new fact, she tells me, you know, your eyes stay the same size when you're born, from like when you grow up, and uh, I don't even need to check into that because if she told me that's cool enough, but it's that idea that like you'll always have those eyes even though other stuff will change. You know, <laughs> that was sort of the impetus for that line in the song. And so there you go. That uh, I think if we look for the little, if we look for, you know, it's a, it's a big, scary world. And this whole thing is, is, a, is a big, scary trip. But if we look for, you know, little mercies and little miracles in what's out there, you know, even if it's just a ray of sunshine at the right time, then it, you know, it's, it's as good as any, you know, it's as good as any miracle that we could have read about. Yeah. Well, there were, there were two other little things that, that came out of that conversation last week that I wanted to run by you. The first was that, uh, Muhammad seven was talking about how he struggles with stage fright, which is something I don't think he was saying that he, as someone who's followed my music thinks that I'm someone who's probably doesn't struggle with that. And I generally don't. And I was saying, well, talk about Morty Coyle. You turn that up to 11. I'm curious. Did you, do you ever, have you ever had an experience of stage fright? You know, when I was, it's funny because I, you know, I, I mean, like, like you, we've spent, we've, we've logged many hours on the boards, right? Yeah. So, there's an element of well, I'll start with my my earliest stuff. I was uh, <laughs> I must have been like my daughter's age. I was like, yeah, I think I was. I was fifth. I was like ten years old, nine, ten years old, and my family went on a cruise ship, and we went. With my grand, you know, my grandparents and my family went on a cruise ship, and it was Love Boat era. I mean, it was height of the of the seventies disco at the jukebox. I remember playing like. Amy Stewart, knock on wood. Like, I just remember it was a definite cruise love boat experience. But being a kid, you know, they, they had this, uh, they, they had a um, talent show, you know, on it in the big main, you know, room. And they had done a bunch of acts and all this stuff. And, you know, I come from a musical family. My grandma was singing. And uh, so I go up and I go, I'll sing, you know, I'll sing Yesterday by the Beatles. I know it, right? You know, totally easy. So I get up on stage, and you know, I'm a kid, and I, and I don't have a lot of on stage experience at that point. And I, I did the first verse, and I'm doing okay. You know, they have a little band, whatever. And I forgot the second verse, and it was that freezing feeling of you never forget that. I mean, it doesn't yeah. matter what age you are. Yeah. When you, it doesn't matter what age you are, it's just that freezing feeling of oh my god and you're and then the you know the, then the MC is trying to tumble with you and he's trying to make you know excuses 
and he's, you know, trying to help you out. My grandma's in the front row trying to sing the right line to me, but she's singing the wrong one. And I freeze, and I just, that's the end of that. I mean, you know, I walk off, and my, you know, it's burning. And then, you know, when I was first in bands, I was, you know, had my head down, tried to look away. And then somewhere along the line, I just realized that, you know, nobody knows. Nobody knows. I mean, you know, if you're doing a cover, they get it, but nobody really knows what, good is <laughs> yep. nobody really knows what that is your confidence level is so much more important than what you're met with even by an by an unreceptive audience and so at a certain point you just lean into your strength and you just try not to highlight the other parts and you know that that's the that's the advice I give to my daughter because she had an experience when she was little where she forgot the words, and I crumbled inside. I mean, I I was crushed for her, and she was little, little, but she forgot the words to a song she was singing at a talent show, and I mean, you can hear me on the video going, "Oh no, oh no," <laughs> like it was parenthood, and I was crushed, crushed for her. But fortunately, you know. I gave her the rap about, you know, this is, you know, it's one little blip, you get past it, you know, you, you, you know, you put it in the shelf, you figure it out, you know, and then next time around, if you choose to do it, you know, you don't have to. So when, when I, when, you know, it's a daunting proposition to get up in front of people and to be vulnerable, you know, that's a, it's not something, it's not a normal thing. You know, with people with public speaking, it's not. I mean, it's not normal to decide I'm going to stand in front of a bunch of people and I'm going to offer you to even in your face or in your applause to offer critique. You know, it's 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 a it's a it's not a normal state. You know, I think about that sometimes as we all have. Like we're on stage, everyone's facing me. You know what I mean? Like everyone's facing me. I could stop what I'm doing to entertain them right now and just do anything else and try them out you know Andy Kaufman or whatever I could just stand here and all of a sudden go like let me talk to you about timeshares or you know or you know start espousing political beliefs you know it's just a peculiar state so you know if you are going to be a live performer it's best it's best to figure out what your strengths are lean into it and let the confidence come from just knowing if, if you know if you know the material is good, whatever you're doing, you know it, that's a, you know that's a huge proponent. And you know, as Miles Davis says, if you fuck up, do it twice. Yep, <laughs> yep, exactly. I love, that was one of the first uh, stagecraft tricks that someone told me when I was pretty uh, a pretty young performer, and I haven't had to use it much. Uh, in the last couple of decades, but in the first decade of performing, definitely that was an ethos I stuck to. I wanted to ask you one other question, which is on that episode, I mentioned how you are someone who I relate to as being transformed by fatherhood. And then thinking about that, I've been thinking, well, I wonder how I wonder, not necessarily how you take that, but I wonder exactly how true that is for everyone, because it's not like you went from being a wild, maybe it sounded like I was saying that you went from being a wild party animal to being a stay-at-home dad, which is not what I meant at all. It was just, actually, you 
you didn't change outwardly in a way that was like, oh, you changed your clothes, you changed your hair, you changed your look, you changed your activities. But to me, as someone who's known you all this time, the change was as big as if you had. And actually, I've, you know, actually more impressive, more inspire, more inspirational than if you had just like stopped being a musician and got a job as a stockbroker or something. Uh, but I'm just curious about from you, like, do you have that? I mean, it feels like that's I'm, I'm telling something, telling you something that's obvious to you. But is it? Well, you know, first of all, I, I really appreciate that, you know, you noticing or, or, you know, whatever your your point of view about that is. I, you know, it's funny because, <laughs> yeah, I was growing up, and I, I'm sure other people have this experience, but, you know, I, I, people always said you'll make a great dad. Nobody ever said you'll make a great husband, <laughs> but, you know, people were like, you'll make a great dad, and I thought that was sort of foreboding, and, and I think about that a lot because, you know, listen, it's, it is a, it is a um, learn-on-the-job experience. Don't get me wrong, and you know, you you fall back on how you're how you were raised, and you fall back on every television show you've seen, and every lifesaver commercial, and every you know everything you you know you've heard about, and you know just weird crap like Judy Bloom stuff, you know floods Irma Bombeck stuff starts flooding into your head when you're you know when you're when you're like you know oh my god I'm arguing through a door with an eight year old, and I'm realize you know or you're you know you're potty training and then you start remembering all these like you know all these essays by people when you were a kid that you didn't understand because you were in between the ages um i i think let me let me put this i'm trying to um let me articulate this when i like to think that i held on to the parts of me that were my personality naturally and I tried to shed if I did at all I tried to shed the parts that just weren't necessary not I don't think I lost anything but I don't I think I just shed some of the parts that just weren't you know that that you know that just didn't didn't need to be around in that capacity but I'm also one of those people that grew up Looking at, you know, all these people that were, you know, in, you know, George Carlin or, you know, the Beatles, all these people that became parents and were still living, you know, were still living lives and making um, viable, you know, viable, energetic, um, artistic statements. And maybe some of them weren't the best at parenthood, but, you know, I, I try to reside somewhere in the middle, you know, of being just natural instincts of being straight with my kids so that they know that you know I'm a straight shooter and to trust me and then also you know just you know being a normal being like you know I can be one of those you know don't don't put your finger in your mouth don't don't touch that don't you know mm -hmm. and you know it's I mean you know I've got that uh, you know I've got that neurotic edge that I'm sure I've always had you know, it, it's there's it's a dual-edged sword when you see something in your kid that you know is you, but you, there's a comfort in knowing it's genetic and you didn't invent it. 
You know what I mean? Like your kid's got, you know, the way your kid stands or something, and you're like, yeah, I know they didn't, I know I didn't show them that. And then I go, yeah, I, I got that from someone else. There's a bit of a relief. You know, it's a load off. Yeah. You know, that, you know, that there. But yeah, man, I, I, I am, I, I am, I, I like, not in a self aggrandizing way, I like, how being a father makes me feel. And because of that, I don't take ownership of being a father, although I did have something to do with it. I don't take ownership of being a father as much as I like to heap the praise on my daughter for allowing that to happen. Yeah, which, I, which, I get that 100%. That is, uh, that is how you come across. That is definitely... Yeah, I don't blame her. Yeah. You know, I don't sit around and go like, it's because of you that I can't go out tonight. You know, none of that. I, I would rather, you know, her mom and I have 50-50 custody. I would rather have her around in the other room sleeping with me doing nothing than, than the times when she's over there and I can, you know, whatever you want to say, potentially get stuff done. I there's, I just take an incredible comfort in her proximity, even when she's doing nothing. And I, and I, and I um, take extreme pride and joy when she's around, even if she's just sitting there, you know, with her legs crossed, you know, reading a book, you know. And I, and I think, you know, and I, and I, and I, and I tell her all the time, I would not take anything away from this even if you're arguing with me and you're being a you know you're being a you know a normal kid and you know yelling at your you know whatever like you know with with having a dad and you know sowing your oats or whatever i take i would take nothing away from that yeah yeah well we're gonna start to we're gonna shift back over to talking with uh your other i don't know big partner in life uh, Jordan yeah. Summers, your your co-creator of All Day Sucker and Bands Before and other projects, Jordan Summers, and uh, just because I know you know you have a sort of a fun brotherly kind of relationship, I just wondered if you wanted to take this opportunity to embed some little message in here oh, that he may not be aware of until this comes out that would uh, you know cast everything else he says into some stark relief. What what, what do you have for us? Well, I thought about this. It's funny, I just I just thought about this because his son um, is uh, going to be I believe, yeah, it's going to be sixteen uh, soon, really soon. I don't know when this airs, but really soon. But I've known Jordan since he was his son's age. We were, you know, I'm, I'm only a few months older. Uh, we were in the same grade, and we met in high school in eleventh grade. But I saw him play in tenth grade at our, you know, our performance thing at our school. So, you know, I've been playing with him since he was his son's, his older son's age. And that, you know, knocks me out sometimes. Because, you know, you look at the kids and you're like, that was us? Like, we were that, you know, we were that little? Like, you know, like, you know, you know, we were, we were, you know, short pants friends. And so now, you know, quite, quite a bit of time later, I mean, you know, just roll with him this morning. You know, we have we have songs, you know, with that joke about having songs older than, you know, our kids, like, obviously. Um, he, he, Jordan has our, our text messages between us 
are, to me, Smithsonian level uh, important. Obviously, they would not be. They would. I would not want them to be seen by everybody. But the uh, yeah, <laughs> our. <laughs> uh, I, I like to refer to it as Jordan is me with impulse control. Yeah, well, now you're now you're just tantalizing. This is not fair. You're tantalizing my listeners. They're not going to get to heat. You're not going to not going to. No one's going to get to read this text thread. Now we're just all want. Well, we all want it Jordan. so badly. It's uh, just it's what's really funny is I take in the same way that when you have pride with a kid and your kid says something really cute and you giggle and you go. Yeah. It's the fact that uh, you know there there's a, there's a sense of you know there's a sense of entitlement to knowing that. One of you is the walkie and one of you is the talkie yeah. in a situation <laughs> where you're on the same wavelength with somebody. So, you know, it's like knowing your audience and you make a joke and you know they're going to get it. Like, I take the same pride when Jordan makes me laugh that, you know, I'm sure any other established anybody gets when they get the same, you know, vibe from somebody. It's like jazz music. It's like playing with another jazz musician or you know, comedian sitting at a table, you know, kibitzing. It's the exact same thing. Like, he and I will go back and forth. And I will I will laugh out loud at stuff and then go, okay, I need to top this on the way back. And, you know, it's as close, it's as, close as a heterosexual love affair as I ever need. You know, and I'm very fortunate that I have a lot of people, like all the other guys I play with, are very much the same way. And, you know, I, I've, I've always placed clever even higher than, you know, musical aptitude or anything else. It's just so much, it's such a rewarding thing. And it's ephemeral, you know, that one little tiny joke comes and goes. But yeah, Jordan is Jordan is one of the wittiest and, and literally, I mean, he writes great songs with lyrics too, but literally one of the greatest uh, what would I say, melodician, uh, you know, melody writer, music writer, I've learned in the time working with him since I was a kid, don't mess with his melody. Because <laughs> it used to be like, let me see what I can mess with when I'm writing words or whatever. I was like, no, keep as much of what he brought to the table as you can and try not to mess with it because his instincts, his instincts to me are as good as any sort of American songbook writer. I'm, I'm grateful and fortunate, you know, to have him as a partner on, on most of our material. You can really hear that. And, and just even in that one song, Girl with the Denim Eyes, I've been, it's been in my, in my head all week. And that's all Jordan, all that melody. Yeah, all of that. That was all. Jordan came to me with a thing that was like, da, da, da. He literally, like him with a demo. Well, he has dummy words that usually yeah. make fun of me, which is great because his lyrics are usually like, you know, Marty's trying to shave his beard. Yeah, he always, it, it's something <laughs> really, he always, there's always something funny, but he had the. I would be Ted if I'd what? What? Which Ted? Ted Turner? I'd be Ted Turner if... 
he said I, it was originally I would be scared, I would be terrified. Um, if I couldn't, da da, I'd be with the fast. It was like something like that. And I had the the idea of a girl with a denim eyes after my daughter, and he just gave it to me, and I went, hey, I just dropped this in in this in this little space, and it fit in great. And I was like, well, if I weren't with my kid. I'd be scared and I'd be terrified. And I like the idea that if you listen to the song, you don't really know that it's my daughter. It could just be, you know, yeah. some lady that I'm into. You Who know, has eyes been, like Denim know. Elliot. Yeah, it could have been exactly Denim Denim's eyes. <laughs> yeah. See, that would have been that. See, that would have been. I, I've never read into that. Now I need to roll. <laughs> now I need to uh, shake up the radio ball and see. You know, trading places oh. with, uh, with Muhammad. Well, we have to we have to leave that. You've you've had so many shakes of the Oracle. It's time for it's time for your partner know, Jordan to have his. No, you don't. You, you have nothing to apologize for. You're one of our favorite guests. Oh man, I appreciate that. I guess we'll see you on a, some Tuesday night somewhere, either at the Kibitz Room. Oh yeah, go to the uh, Fokker. Yeah, yep. if you go to the Fokker Force Five, it's F O C K R F O R C E number five. Fokker Force Five on Facebook. We try to play every Tuesday night Pacific time, about eight-ish Jewish standard time, and uh, we play for like three hours, like we do at the Kibitz Room on Tuesdays, and we just try to give people free live entertainment. We just kind of hit the ground running, and we try not to let the balloon touch the floor, and we try to give you hours of music. And while we're doing it, people are chatting and you know asking for artists. And we just go into them on a whim and a prayer. And so, yeah, we'll, we'll, like, if you're around Tuesday nights on there, and if you want, we're also on Instagram under that. And check out Bee and Daddy Cartoons, which is, you'll get to see the girl with the denim eyes and me and the two of us singing, you know, my favorite songs from the last forever. And we're almost up to 300 videos on Instagram. Time passes. <laughs> And we would have gotten away with it if it wasn't for you crazy kids. So, Jordan, what about these chat, the, uh, these epic uh, chat threads or message threads or text threads that uh, that Morty teased out? He he made it sound like there was they were both Shakespearean and also uh, maybe Russ Myers esque, somewhere between, somewhere betwixt and between. Are you gonna are you gonna are you gonna share one of these with us or? Uh. You mean read you a text? Well, like one of these threads. Like, what's what is he talking about when he says that you and he have these epic text threads that he feels are like Smithsonian worthy? Oh well, I mean, there's many text threads. They go on and on. Um, uh, I've known Morty since we were 15, so we're like brothers, and we fight, and we have big fights. Like, we're like we'll go. But no matter how intense those fights get, and, and nowadays they're on text and they're not in person anymore. So um, no matter how intense they get, there's always room for the joke. It doesn't matter. I mean, it can be life or death. If the joke is there, the joke will be done. And so we will go at each other. And even if it's a joke about a third party or a pun or something off color and disgusting or girls or whatever it's gonna get weaved into these texts so we could be fighting about uh i don't know 
the running order of a record. What songs go where? Uh, what? Uh, how to do that song? Should we do that bridge?、Uh, is it too high for him to sing? All of this is just a hotbed of bickering back and forth, and then disgusting. Really good jokes because you know when you get up, you get your your juices flowing, and you know that neither of us can be offended. There's it, it just it fosters amazing humor, and we did、um, a podcast,、uh, um, the all time top ten, and the topic was, I believe, what would we pay play for each other at each other's funeral? We had to do top ten playlists that I would play at Morty's funeral and he would play at mine. And I think both of us separately said that whoever dies first, the other one's going to read random snippets of our texts、um, because really they should be published one day. I think we both have to be dead for this <laughs>、um, because one, it would it would be it would be unfair. But also two, I don't imagine any. I think we would have to block it because you know. We one of us would be going to prison while the other one was dead. Yeah. So you just you you just、uh, will it to your children, and they can oh, oh, they can I, publish I it. I put it in a trust so they couldn't get. In, no, I, <laughs> I, I would. I'd have to be a blind trust.、Um, maybe they could get the money for it, but I would not want to uh, uh, get them involved in any way where they would think that their father would. Who would you? Okay. So so okay. So this is a this is an odd question. I never thought that I would ask, but. Who would you will? Who in your life would you think you would will this to? Who would you trust to? I think、uh, the Smithsonian is a good call. I think the Smith. I think, <laughs> I think they would be dubious at first, and then once they dug into it, they would realize they'd have to open a wing, because you'd have to have those like plexiglass dividers where they print out all the text, like when you go to the Met, you know, when you go to the museum, yeah, so people can read it and stand around. It, it's worthy of that. In fact. Um, sometimes when there was a heated discussion, we'd be going back and forth, and I would be in the car, and like、um, I would play it for Tia. I would say, "Oh my God, we had this whole fight," and I can't read it and drive, so I would have Siri read it,、no. and it's the funniest thing you've ever read in your life. Because Siri is like Morty, I don't want to do that. I don't. I'm getting older. I can't sing those kinds of songs anymore. Jordan. Shut up! Just sing the fucking song, Morty. Fuck you! Your mom sucked my yeah. And it goes on and on, Morty. And then this Morty, of course, I don't know if you noticed this, but Morty tends to go on. It'll be Morty. <laughs> and he goes, you know, I'm I'm in the shower. I'm having a panic attack. I really don't think that chorus should be that high. Plus, we need to get a different guitar sound for the other thing. And um and. You know, and then he'll insult me, and then say,、um, "By the way, B's birthday is Thursday," and I'll say, "You're," and then he'll say, "Jordan, <laughs> you're a fucking child. How can we still be having this argument after all this time? I'm not having this argument with any anything more. Does she still like my pretty pony?" Question <laughs> mark. <laughs> yeah. Yes, my daughter is a total fag, and she still likes My Pretty Pony. And speaking of fags, that part that you played is worthy of Liberace's anus. Jordan, only you would know Liberace's anus because you decorated it with your 
You know, it, uh, this is how it goes. On okay. and on and on and on. Got and, it. Okay. So, uh, you know what I was thinking? You know, you know, maybe, you know that, because uh, the, are you familiar with that, uh, that museum that's in the, in the Masonic Temple on Wilshire Boulevard? Uh, I think it's called the no. Marciano Gallery, and I think I might have heard that it closed recently. But it was amazing. It's a decommissioned Freemasonic temple, and they put on, it's a huge space. They put on these big art installations, and there's a cool little uh, Masonic museum where they display these beautiful backdrops that were designed for... Freemasonic ritual slash theatrical performances. And what was amazing is that a lot of the original Disney artists were members of this temple. So they created these big backdrops and they're just gorgeous. And it seems like that would be great for these text threads. Because first of all, uh, it's, you're a California phenomenon. feels like, you know, I'm surprised that you're, not, you're unaware of this place. It's, uh, you should check it out when we get back to being able to go into large spaces or small spaces well, together. Well, I was raised uh, kind of half Jewish. So after my bar mitzvah, I never would walk into a temple again. So if it says temple on the building, I'm going to go right by it. I don't care what precedes the word temple, unless it was like Shirley. You're not going to get me into that. <laughs> what do you, that what do you mean? Okay, so what, uh, which half? Which your bottom we, half, your top half, your front half, your back half? Which sadly, half you... sadly, my bottom half, you know, of course, <laughs> you know, was circumcised. It came out great. I'm not complaining. I'm just saying, you know, it's 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 a it's a tell. Got it. Um, no, I'm not religious in any sense of the word, but you know, my family, the the culturally is Jewish, and um, if you know anything about religion at all, and going to temple and having to have a bar mitzvah and speak Hebrew in front of a bunch of people and then eat. You never want to do that again after you've been it's not worth the money to be honest for like the two grand and the eight pens that's and the 18 dollars checks that they shove in your pocket that's really nice to worth. hear because i i would i have uh bar mitzvah envy i grew up in, a, oh, in a place where there weren't many jews and my mom really uh she she kind of gave me a sold me a bill of goods she told me that in order to get a bar mitzvah you had to actually learn Hebrew, learn the language you, you, to speak. You, you kind of do. The, I mean, you you're to learn your speech, to. though, right? Correct. I don't well, know. I've never met. I've never met a Jewish kid from America who actually learned Hebrew to do their bar, mitz bar mitzvah. They learned their speech, which I could do. I'm an actor. Well, I yeah, it's true. But I I um, did it even. I even did it worse because I didn't want it. And, and rightly so. So we ended up uh, hiring this guy and I crammed six weeks before. So I really just did like a phonetic barfing out of the Hebrew. So for me, I had no idea what I was saying. I could have done a wop a wop bamboo, a tutti frutti on Rudy, had about the same gravity and meaning to me as the via the bear of the you're, I mean, you're, you, you may be a, you may have been born a Jew, but your your religion is rock and roll. I don't even know if my religion is rock and roll. It's more of a. I mean, maybe maybe I'm a a a, a reformed rock and roll religious person. I mean, you have your rituals. You have your you know you have your your flock. I do. You're right. Maybe 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 you're right. Maybe I do. I do I do worship at the 
at the Temple of Rock. I feel like the Tuesday nights at the Kibbutz Room, they are... Well, that's, that's as Jewish as you get. I don't that's, know if it's... <laughs> yeah, that, to that's me, that's more my... more Jewish than any bar mitzvah that I've ever been to. Yeah, exactly. To me, that was when I, you know, meeting the meeting you guys and then, uh, then being able to enjoy that ritual whenever I come to L.A. is the most Jewish thing in my life, and I love it. And we it. still kind of do, like, we do, through COVID now, we've been doing this online version of it because we can't be in a room together, so we go to JJ's house and we all go in separate rooms and mask up and go through the board and we do a kind of a, uh, a basic five-man version of the crazy Tuesday night thing at Kibbutz Room where it's a rotating group of up to 30 musicians, 40 musicians a night, depending. Um, and it's just the five of us and we just start playing songs off the top of our head and go. And then we talk shit and make fun of them and do different lyrics and, and uh, train wreck and hit high notes and or it's amazing and it's terrible and it's wonderful and then we make jokes it's, it's great so we still do that not as jewish because you're not in a deli but you know it's, it's it's cyber jew yeah cyber jew with with no religion by the way let's just get that clear if you people are looking around for yeah some kind of uh, no 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 that, it's a different that's not that's not our jam i don't think anyone would get that i don't think based upon our conversation just in this call I don't think anyone would uh, would get that there would be something particularly religious about anything you do. Well, uh, lots of musicians do the you know the worship shows, and that's that's a big thing now because that's the only place you can really get an audience to, <laughs> in a room. Uh, so, uh, well, let's. Uh, we we had a really, an, I what I consider to be a kind of an interesting synchronicity with today's pop oracle song of the day which is Black Sunset by Feisty Heart which was recorded on October 12th, 2017 this being October 21st 2020 there's a already a 1221 thing but there's an even more interesting connection in that on that episode Dan Hassel was asking question about who are they when they talk about they who are they and the last time you were on the show you asked a similar question and we got we had this really I found to be really funny um I don't know, miscommunication because when you said they I was thinking of like the paranoid who are they watching us and you were talking about the they who will help us like who are who's going to take care of that thing oh they're, they're going to take care of it so yeah, you call the, they come they fix yeah. the thing and then they go away right and you're talking about the the, the deep state you know that's, right that was the them and uh and nobody had on in the history of the show i've been on every radio eight ball show nobody other than you and dan hassel have asked a question along those lines and then today when you're going to be on the show for the first time since then, for that to be the song of the day and that have been, to have been the question that inspired it, that's already sort of, to me, a, a bullseye of a synchronicity. But did you have any particular synchronicities with the song Black Sunset today? Uh, well, firstly, it's recorded really, really well. I know you guys did that Starburns, right? Oh, yeah. Sounds great. I mean, it was a really good performance. I was kind of struck by how good it sounded. It was really done well. Um and uh, synchronistically, you know, other than the fact that it was done three years ago and we're on the eve of the election and and it's been COVID and 
everything is kind of like a steaming pot of shit. Um, it's kind of the, the the songs embrace, you know, that. It's like the opposite of that Dylan Thomas poem, you know, Ray John and the Dying of the Light. And mm-hmm. For all you poem enthusiasts, do not go gentle in that good night. It's a Dylan Thomas poem, and it's saying, you know, about dying and rage and fight. And this is kind of the opposite. It's like I've, I've made amends with the machine, and I'm going to kind of like go off into the black sunset. So I think we all, in a way, kind of have to do that. There's a point where you go, you know, this could end really badly, and you kind of have to embrace that and say, and it, it could be over tomorrow. And we've, uh, so they're definitely looking into the future there. 17 years ago probably a little bit more than uh girl with the nmis <laughs> no, this isn't this isn't 17 years ago it's three years no, ago seven no 17 <laughs> what did i say 2017 yeah then, yes 2017 not 17 years ago if that were the case then wow yeah uh yeah that was the line that really stuck out to me i've made amends with the machine i that i've been feeling I mean, you know me. I was I was very active during the primaries and in, in pushing for the candidate that I wanted to be get the nomination. But after that, being a blue state Democrat, I kind of like okay, well, it's not, my the effect that I can have on this campaign is now down to just sort of like you know doing my part in the in in the on the voting side and kind of keeping my mouth shut and letting the process go ahead you know in the way that it's going to go ahead and i don't know that that can feel like that sense of like i've made amends with the machine you know i can try and put out podcasts and inspire intelligence and and being thoughtful and you know supporting the musicians that i dig and the people that i want to i want to help get out there more but beyond that yeah there is a little bit of like I think you, I hadn't really thought of it when I listened to the song, but just the way you just described it, that sense of like, okay, well, we're going to go into this black sunset together. I'm going to ride. I guess the the nice part about it is that with the music, that feeling wasn't, there was something still inspired and soulful, you know, even though it's dark, sort of like the, the, like someone at the beginning of a high seas adventure movie, like, we're sailing off into that dark sunset, you know, that black sunset. Who knows what's on the edge, other side <laughs> of that bluesy, horizon? A bluesy high seas. Yeah. In the bayou, yeah. Yeah, and they're going to be sheep at the end. I think it was to make a sheep out of me. And the, yeah. Or what was all the scheme? Um, you know, it's like I said, it's like the Dylan Thomas poem, you know, to fight, fight, fight death and just fight, don't go into the light. And this is like, it's the, the black sunset. It's like a, it's like a black hole. It's going to eclipse us all. And, you kind of have to there's probably some solace into just letting go and going going with the flow of the flock if you really feel like you can't make that change because yes we all can make that change but it takes more than one of us even if one of us is the catalyst um and that one is kind of like you know um it's fatalistic the way i read it yeah um and you know it's not a dance song it's pretty it's pretty dark um but but i think a lot of people feel that way and the only thing we can do is vote that's all we can do yeah and we're lucky that we can do that you know yeah and i think the people who are raging on like 
putting up fake ballot boxes and setting them on fire and trying to cheat. I don't think um, it's going to make much of a dent, really. I don't think you can do that on um, on the long haul. You know, it's just not tenable, really. If if everybody uh, does their duty and votes, the more people who vote, the better will be. Yeah. Well, let's uh, let's move on to the part, uh, the portion of the show where you get to ask your question to the Pop Oracle, Jordan. Do you have the app open and ready? Oh, jeez, I should. Ha- I do not. We're gonna have to um, give me a moment to okay. open because I don't want to hang up on you on my phone. Do I now? You wouldn't be the first. I bet. I bet. So is it? This is like a kind of like synchronistic tinder uh is it like that it is i think yes i'm gonna hook you up with the song that's a sure thing this song will is all yes is gonna be all yeses for you if this song wants me to go to burning man with it i'm saying no i don't i don't know that there are any songs in the app that are an invitation to burning man at although well, if you've seen Tinder or any of the dating things, it's every it's like basically, you know, there's the really nice picture, then there's the picture of their ass, then there's the bathing suit picture, there's the picture of them at Burning Man to show, you know, how freaky they get. Usually a picture of them with a drink to say, Hey, I drink. And then a picture of them with a bunch of friends that look just like them, but it's hard to pick them out. And then there's always one picture where you go, Ooh shit, that's probably what you look like. And then you swipe. So, you hipster, you dating hipster, you. I no, I just look over my friends' shoulders because it's you know they're either playing words with friends or swiping. It's right, like they get carpal tunnel from the swiping. I, I'm too busy putting out podcasts and masturbating to porn from the 1980s. Uh, oh, those are the best ones. Chris yeah. Canyon. Remember Cafe Flash? That was a good one. Uh, yeah. Probably. Were you in that one? You were in no, one. I no. was not in Cafe Flesh. No, I. You would have been great. I would have been very have been amazing. intimidated. Uh, okay, well, let's get. Do you, do you have the app ready? I do. You're not going to like this. Oh, it's not going in. Can I ask two questions? Because you're not going to like the first one. Uh, I. You know what? You ask the question that you want me to spend the next week promoting. It's your question. Uh, so I can't say like, will the Dodgers win the World Series? You could ask that. Yeah, we'll get it. We'll we'll definitely that again. That is a question. Pretty much every World Series, someone asks something along those lines. I remember I asked a similar question in two thousand four. So uh, the reason why I ask is because I think it's a special World Series this year. And since it's our national pastime, and the last time the Dodgers were in the World Series, the Houston Asterisks cheated. So we didn't get a fair shake. Now it's a truncated season because of COVID, and we're in the World Series again, and we're up one game at the, at the taping of this. We'll see how we do in about 45 minutes. So it's kind of a, an important historical series. Yeah. It will be talked about forever, because of the social and 
the historical value of the, our national pastime being played this way in isolation, not at home, people masked. It, it, it's a, there, it's it's going it's a it's a Cooperstown. Speaking of museums, this will have its own Cooperstown um, wing, I think, next to Morty and my texts. And, yeah, and your and your your eighties porn collection. Yes. Um, so I'm going to do that because I, it, it seems shallow, but it isn't shallow. It isn't at all, and I have a lot to say about it. So yeah, let's 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 go. I want to know. Okay. I want to know. So the question is, intone it for us, Jordan. I put it in there. Will the Dodgers win the World Series? Now, and give it a shake. It's shaking. Here it comes. I'm not blacking out. I'm breaking through. It's Invisible Girl by Scott Taylor. Invisible Girl by Scott Taylor. I'm you. I'm not blacking out, I'm breaking through When I'm all alone, I'm you I need you to believe me from my mouth and close your eyes they always rinse out why too many sad red blues on my floor no more
And that was Scott Taylor doing Invisible Girl, performed live on Radio 8 Ball on KAOS in Olympia on July 26th, 2007. And I need to interrupt you when you're, you're going to want me to. Oh, you yeah. For this? Well, let me just tell you, that was the answer to uh, your question. Will the Dodgers win the World Series? And yes, interrupt me. Come on. What, what do you got for me? Because you'll love this because this is so Radio 8 Ball. So um, for you listeners, he just asked me to tell him what date it was. It was July 26, which is my father's birthday. Oh, wow. Coincidentally, literally at this second, which is 441, my mom just sent me a YouTube link just this second. Oh, my dad was an actor. He's on the show called Doctari. It's like an animal doctor show, uh-huh. kind of like Clipper, gentlemen. <laughs> yeah. Um, just sent me. Uh, a link to Doctari that's on uh, the whole second season on YouTube that has been uploaded for the first time because they're really hard to get because they're old. So I look, I tell you, it's my dad's birthday. Boom! The second I say that, my mother sends me the YouTube link to Doctari. I love it. I love it. See, aren't you glad I interrupted you? And was your and your dad uh, a, a Dodgers fan? No. No. Didn't care for sports. Didn't care for sports. Okay. Well, well, I have I I took a lot. I had, I thought there was a lot there. I'm a I'm a big baseball fan, so I was able to read a lot into it. But I'm curious what you thought about that. As I'd love it. Do you know the lyrics on the site? Do you? Or the I don't. But I was I wrote down some of them as they came through. I should have done that. Um, like it's so it starts out. I'm not breaking out. I'm breaking through. Uh, so people who are not who who don't follow baseball, let me just like lay out a little bit of the narrative here. The Dodgers have been one of the best teams in baseball for the last ten years, and sorry, Hatcher. And they uh, they have not won a World Series since 1988. And they are the the Dodgers fans. Although they have this amazing team with all this money, they are a long suffering franchise. For anyone, any adult Dodgers fans or like a younger Dodger fans, they've never seen them win a World Series. They just keep seeing them lose in the seventh game or the sixth game or in the in the championship series. And twice, you said it was the Astros, but didn't they also lose to the Red Sox when the Red Sox were also? They did, but the Astros were the ones that were really cheating. So there is a real sense of it's it's rare that a team that's as wealthy and big market as the Dodgers can claim any sense of being an underdog. But. I think that they're, the suffering of the Dodgers fans over the last 10 years has won a lot of sympathy for this team. So you I th- preach it, brother. Yeah. Yes. So, so uh, and, I, and, and I have my own background about this, being someone who grew up as a Red Sox fan. Now I'm a full-on Mariners fan. Uh, and uh, so I don't have to feel the same pain that the Red Sox have, but the Red Sox basically traded away who the their best player who is now the best player on the Dodgers Mookie Betts and we could talk a little bit about, more about that but there's just a lot of narratives and another one of the narratives is that Clayton Kershaw their great pitcher has even though he's been excellent in a lot of playoffs and a lot of World Series games in moments of what that made the difference 
he has a narrative hung around his neck that he he chokes. Um, he is he is he is it's probably unfair. regarded as for last ten years as the best pitcher in baseball. Yeah, and not not by the Dodgers, but by anyone and, and by everyone. associated with baseball. Yeah. And yet, for whatever reason, he doesn't get run support. He has a back spasm. Stuff happens where he has has a poor postseason. And what you said about the Dodgers is completely true for non-sports people. And I'm not a sports person. I only like baseball, and I only like the Dodgers, mainly because of their history and how they reflect society. They were family-owned. They had the first black player. They moved from Brooklyn and broke the hearts and moved out to L.A. And just there so many great stories. Vin Scully. Um, and the Cubs and the Red Sox definitely – I guess kind of monetized their failure better than the Dodgers did, even though the Dodgers <laughs> constantly lose when it counts. Now we do, we are a winning team, but when we've won, it's been shrouded in losses on either side against the Yankees. And our, you know, if you look at this, the scoreboard, it looks good, but really as a fan, it hurts. It hurts. We're always, and but the Cubs, oh, the Cubs, well, they're so cute. They lose, and the Red Sox, and then the Dodgers never get that kind of pathos unless you really follow them. And you know, we knew last year. Oh, every time we're going to win, we know. I mean, that 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 it, it, it it's it's like if you were going to play um, Rochambeau with the Dodgers, it would be rock scissors, and they punch themselves in the face, and then they go two out of three. That's how. That's what happens. So even though we're one game up in the World Series, anything could happen. Someone's going to get hurt. There'll be lightning. Uh, they'll all get COVID. Something will happen. You'll see. Well, see, this is where this is where I feel like you got a great reading. So he keeps going back and forth between invisible world, invisible girl, and when I think of invisible world, I think of like all the potential outcomes. And as someone who was a member of one of those long-suffering fan bases, I know that, like, until it's over, like, you get, you you kind of enjoy it, but you also can't enjoy it because you've had victory snatched out yeah. of your fingers at the last minute so many times that it's just like, ugh, you're just on pin. So it's like living with that potential of the invisible world of all the, you know, only one potential outcome is winning. All the other remember, potential outcome is of the ways you can lose, right? So I remember the Dodgers nickname since Brooklyn has been the bums, the bums, the because they, <laughs> that's they when they did know how well. to monetize their losing. Um, so this idea of I'm not breaking out, I'm breaking through. When you apply that to this feeling that the Dodgers fan base and the Dodgers have of like, you, you got to break through this. And also the fact that you play in a band with a member of the, whatever version of the doors continues to exist with Dan Rothschild. Oh, boy, they're digging deep there. Okay. <laughs> I was just thinking about break out, break on through. And it's an LA thing. That's all. It's all very positive for LA and connects with you and your music. And then there's a line that says too many sad blues on my floor. Okay. That's the one I got. I got, but, I was like that. That I went all right. Dodger Blues. Now, we're but the blue, next line, Dodger Blue. Yeah. The next line is no more, which I, you know, you've had too many sad blues on your floor, but no more. I felt like that was really that was very positive. 
Um, you could go on to say, I guess, that the Invisible Girl is the Invisible World series. It's he's just trying to get this almost like his uh, Invisible Girlfriend that doesn't exist thing that he's chasing. Or like all these players manifest. who are in quarantine and they can't see their families. They're they're in their families, their wives, their girlfriends are invisible to well, them. Well, I think actually I think they're in the bubble. Don't they get to stay in the bubble and the wives and families all stay in that little bubble? Is that not so? And what makes me, you know, this is where I'm going to dig really deep. It makes me think maybe yeah. one of the players who's going to make a difference, he has a mistress who can't be in the bubble. But he knows that she's watching him, and so he's going to play extra hard for like her. Roy Hobbs, like the, the yeah, yeah, um, yeah, yeah. Who do you think it would be if you were going to pick a Dodger player who you think is having an extramarital affair, but it's true love? Who do you think it would be? Jeez, you know, that's a rough one. Um, I'm thinking Max Muncy. Really? I just you think, lo- Max, you think Max Muncy can have more than one woman at a time are I'm, you serious his name look at his name's max muncie max muncie's a one woman man he's surprised he's i think he surprises you well he does play several positions so. <laughs> okay see uh but there is there was there was one dark foreboding shadow uh he says now is the time i'm not going home he's not scoring right and then He's, I forget nice. what the rhyme is, but he says, and you choke. So Ooh, You're good at this. You should have a show yeah. where you talk about this. <laughs> yeah, so, uh, you know, I, 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 I want, I wish we could get this song to Clayton Kershaw because I feel like he did so well last night. He did so well last night. He did so well. And I have to say his manager kind of, I feel like, figured out, hey, you know what? Let him pitch six innings and then let him go. Let him come back and let, let's the rest of us carry it. We don't need to Don't get me started on Dave Roberts. <laughs> okay. Well, uh, you know, he was a hero for the Red Sox. Okay, and th- but that's the other narrative. This is the one that I've been wanting to talk about. And sorry people if you don't like baseball, we only do it once or once about once a year that this, this comes This is out. not baseball. This is it's it's This is it's America. Life. Yeah, and this, this is, is the, oh, Go on. This is baseball is the best um I guess what sports microcosm or example of life in general. That's why there's so many terms about striking out and stealing in the home. And there's so many metaphors more than any other sport. The, the oldest, you know, the national pastime that that's, I think the, the, the draw, you know, and it goes on too long, you know, <laughs> it's, it's, you have to dig deeper on the, on the relevance of it and not just the actual dudes in suits throwing balls and running at each other. Yeah, and I wanted to I wanted to throw out this thing because there is this whole one of the narratives going on around this. I, I mentioned it is that Mookie Betts played with the Red Sox. He was their best player because of financial concerns. They traded him to the Dodgers, and now the Dodgers have him, and he loves it there. And it's and the people who are big Red Sox fans are hating it. They are not enjoying it at all. But one of the things that I've been thinking about a lot is after the Red Sox won the World Series, I think it was 2017, the team was invited to go to the White House to meet Donald Trump and and shake his hand. And all the white Red Sox players went, and all the non-white Red Sox players didn't. And 
then to see the way that at the beginning of this season that coincided with a lot of the Black Lives Matter protests, that Mookie Betts found himself on a team where I think as far as the first time I'm aware in baseball that the the players kneeled and black and white players kneeled together and they all backed him up that way. As well, let's let's not forget that Dodgers broke the color barrier right. with Jackie Robinson, right, first of black course. player. I mean, you're it's and it's, and, the, and don't think don't think that Mookie Betts was not thinking that last night when he was on third base and stole home. And also, it should be also noted that the Red Sox had an opportunity to sign Jackie Robinson the year before the Dodgers. And oh, really? I didn't know that. Yeah, he auditioned for the Red Sox. And according to history, Tom Yawkey, their manager, uh, came out of his office and said, get those ends off my field. So as someone and that's some, that's a part of the history that a lot of Reds like I grew as a kid growing up, I didn't know any of that. But as I got to, as I grew to be an adult and I learned these stories and I watched this playing out, I think it's a like that narrative for Mookie Betts. I love the idea that Mookie Betts can leave the Red Sox, come to a team that is much more in keeping with his spirit and lead that team break on through in that way uh, that that this and not and not choke. Yeah. And not choke is is so like I just feel like that is if. I'm sorry, Red Sox fans, fellow Red Sox fans, many members of my family who love the Red Sox. If you can't be happy for Mookie Betts to get out of Boston and be in L.A. doing what he's doing, then I think you need to look a little bit closer because this is a great storyline in baseball. And It is a great storyline. And, yeah. and when we lost to the Red Sox, and I was at two of those games, and <sighs> saw Mookie play really in person for the first time, and I was like, this guy's amazing. He was my favorite player on that team. And I thought, this is the kind of thing we need. This is the guy we need. High socks, wears the socks up, runs, has a good acumen for the game, like hits. This is the kind of – and he plays – and I hate to say this to the Red Sox fans. He plays Dodger baseball. Yeah. The little ball, the little things that – because they're an old team, and they did kind of write a lot of the book on small ball. And it's inspiring to see small ball than, than just hitting home runs. I know it's sexy. Jews know a little bit about small ball. <laughs> Thank you for giving your attention and intention to this episode of Brady Weight Ball Season 3, The Appening with our guest Jordan Summers of All Day Sucker. Please remember to subscribe to Radio 8 Ball on your podcast app. And if you like the show, please help other people find us by rating and reviewing Radio 8 Ball positively. If you tell your synchronicity story, I'll read it on the show. Of course, we encourage you to download the Radio 8 Ball app from the iTunes App Store. And finally, I do hope you'll join our Patreon campaign and follow us backstage for my Pop Oracle reading, where I asked, Why did I say good when I meant happy the patreon link is in the show notes we're going to go out with sitting in a tree featuring jordan and morty and members of all day sucker performing a song which was written years ago and became an unintended tribute to jordan's wife tia who left us this year after a long battle for her health tia was one of the great ones i'll never forget her smile her spirit or the way she always made me feel welcome and appreciated whenever she was around. And with that, I'm out. Until next time, I'm your host, Andras Jones, wishing you lots of spine-tingling synchronicities 
connections with the natural world, and all the inspiration you can handle. I've been in love with you since elementary school. I never knew the world beyond the tree on your front lawn. Long before life got tangled, carelessly ankles dangled, reckless and
the radio.